Today from the Global Lane, new wave of persecution in Cuba. Christians believe the worst is coming. The DOJ wants the Flynn case dismissed. The judge says no and takes unprecedented actions. What now? More than 100,000 COVID-19 deaths in the USA. Are the numbers inflated? Of course they're inflated. All you have to do is compare Texas to New York. And Twitter takes on Trump. Some revealing facts about voter fraud. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. Two years have now passed since Raul Castro stepped down from the presidency in Cuba. You'd think life would be getting a bit easier for Christians there, but not so. A new wave of persecution is occurring against new Christians and evangelists in the country's prisons. Well, here to fill us in is Patrick Klein. He's executive director of Vision Beyond Borders. Patrick, always good to see you, brother. So tell us, what's happening to those accepting and sharing Christianity in prison in Cuba? Thanks, Gary. Good to see you. Um, actually, they're being persecuted. We are hearing that the guards are actually tearing up Bibles, destroying the Bibles in the prison. Uh, but in spite of that, people are coming to faith, and we've heard that they've actually broken up the Christian community and sent them to other prisons throughout the island. Well, what are they telling you about the reason they're doing this all of a sudden? Why now? I think they're really concerned. We'd heard that uh, a couple of months ago that the, the Christians are starting to band together. The denominations are working together and saying, hey, we're the minority here. Let's work together. And the government is really scared that now the Christians will try to take over the country. They're really that frightened of Christians there. Yes. You know, it's it's amazing. You know, even when we go in and we bring supplies in, they they try to stop us, try to take the even Bibles away. Uh, but we did have on one of the recent trips, we had a lady that was stopped with Bibles and the man came in there in plastic cellophane. He opened the customs official, actually opened up the Bible and he stood there and he read the Bible for about 10 minutes, Gary. He just read the word of God. He finally just set it down and and he walked away. And, and our friend said, Lord, if you send him back, I'll give him a Bible. But then all of a sudden she was released to go. Patrick, what happens to those Bibles? Do they destroy them? Do they read them? Uh, what, what happens to them? Well, we're hearing right now in the prison that they're actually destroying those Bibles. But, you know, it seems like sometimes people are reading them. And, you know, even though we've had opposition in customs, we're seeing some of the, the guards are actually open. And when they see the Christians, Christians coming in with Bibles and supplies, they let us go through. So we never know from time to time what's going to happen. Well, I've been there and I know there are a lot of strong believers in Cuba so tell me, are existing house churches still being demolished and closed, and are we seeing any new churches popping up? We're seeing more and more churches popping up, but you know, in the in the house churches, if the music is too loud or the preaching is too loud or the neighbors complain, then the the government comes in and shuts them shuts them down. So it's you never know from day to day what's going to happen. So when people go and plan a new church or a church is established, they try to build relationships with their neighbors right away to get on their good side and try to do nice things to them for them and help them. And what we're seeing is the church is really growing in Cuba. It's amazing. They keep planting more churches, keep reaching out, and it's exciting. They're, they're very joyful. And the thing, Gary, is they're very grateful for the help. And you know, Raul Castro, of course, is still in control of the Communist Party, the Cuban military. But any indication that religious freedom may improve under President Miguel Diaz-Canel? Uh, he's had two years now to make things better. 
you know, it's we're not seeing any signs of it getting any better. But we just feel like they, they actually have told us we feel like we have a couple years of window before they're going to come out with a new constitution, which will really be against the church. So they believe that persecution is really going to get worse and worse down there. But in the meantime, they just keep preaching the gospel and, and doing all they can to reach uh, their friends, their neighbors with the gospel. Um, we're even hearing stories of, you know, police watching some of the believers, you know, uh, passing by their houses. They really have a lot of opposition, but in spite of the opposition, they they are growing. Um, pray for them. Right now is a very difficult time with the COVID because there is no public transportation. We're hearing about some people that went to get chicken the other day, and it was actually 10 hours that they had to wait to get chicken. And then when they got the chicken, it was very, very small. And so if there's food shortages down there. And so just keep praying for them and, and just uh, you know pray for them. And if you can, help support them. A federal judge has until May 31st to explain why he has not dismissed the case against former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit asked Judge Emmett Sullivan to explain his actions appointing a retired federal judge to challenge the Department of Justice's decision to drop the Flynn case. Well, President Trump and others believe Lieutenant General Flynn's case is at the heart of FBI and deep state efforts to take down the Trump administration. Well, joining us with more is someone who has followed all of this closely Jordan Seculo. He's co-host of Jay Seculo Live and executive director of the American Center for Law and Justice. So, Jordan, Judge Sullivan has hired an attorney to write his response. What do you think was behind this decision against dismissing the Flynn case as requested by the DOJ? This is still, uh, uh, Gary, I will tell you, I've talked to attorneys that work with us that were former U.S. attorneys asking just as, have they ever seen anything like this before? And throughout these last few weeks with General Flynn's case, and when you had the Department of Justice come in, the prosecutors come in, the judge is not a party in the case. Now he's, he's really behaving as one. And come in and say, we were wrong. We went back. Even if there was something with the testimony, it wasn't when he was presenting information to the FBI. It wasn't anything relevant to an actual legitimate investigation. And so we're going to drop this. And... Uh, put out all the information why, put out the decision why. The judge still has to make a decision on that. No one was taking that away from Judge Sullivan. The judge doesn't have to accept that. But to take this action, he started, I knew he was, a, there were issues. When one, he started claiming inherent authority. Right there that day, when he came out and said inherent authority, not actual, not written, not, not actually delegated, nowhere to be found, and he took it from the civil uh, procedure, not the criminal procedure, that there were issues. But now that he's lawyered up, I think that there's probably something else going on here, more than just the writ of mandamus, which was, it's an unusual action to be successful on. Well, it's very strange, isn't it? The whole, the whole thing, because now he's acting like a prosecutor. And here the prosecutor, the DOJ, says, no, we're going to, we are not going to prosecute this case. And the judge says, oh, well, okay, you won't prosecute it, I will. Uh, so what is your prediction on how the federal appeals court is likely to rule, Jordan, for or against Flynn and why? I do believe that General Flynn will ultimately be vindicated. Uh, the Department of Justice has been clear about that, and Attorney General Barr, the, the prosecutors, people have spent time on it. They've said that this, is, this was not right, what happened here from the very beginning. And the information that we've learned about the setup 
uh, to Mike Flynn? Are we trying to get him to lie? All that information and from the FBI, going back to Jim Comey's days and Andrew McCabe's days at the FBI. So I, I do believe he ultimately gets vindicated. Judge Sullivan has taken some unprecedented action. I wonder, Gary, if by the in the next four or five days, whether Judge Sullivan is even the judge in this case. I think that's what to look for is, is there, because he could have done, answered the writ of mandamus about why he took the action he did without lawyering up. When you lawyer up, there, you are indicating that there's something else going on that we may not know yet. And, you know, people are speculating because it is such bizarre action. You just don't usually see a judge that becomes party to a case. And that's not what the writ of mandamus action was about. It was a, that's a civil action. And those kind of issues arise in criminal cases, though this is the first time anybody I've talked to from the legal world who's, who has been on both sides, prosecutors and defense attorneys, uh, they've never seen this before. And if the case against Flynn is dismissed, what will that mean, Jordan, for Donald Trump and the folks at the FBI and the DOJ? I do believe that if you were someone like, like President Trump, so you were not coming from the Washington establishment world, you got into uh, DC and suddenly all of your top folks, top advisors come under attack. And uh, some still are, others have been vindicated. Uh, he's been vindicated uh, by both the Mueller uh, report, which found no legal issues, no wrongdoing, no collusion, all of that. And then uh, again, through impeachment when he was acquitted by the Senate there. And so this has been a, a, a time, I think that people were waiting for, would there be vindication for people like this? And, uh, and we knew from the beginning, the, the problem areas in the government were not just intelligence and kind of bizarre areas like that. It, the problem areas also included DOJ attorneys that are not supposed to be partisan, that are you know, part of the bureaucracy, they're supposed to enforce the laws. And and uh, and again, this just we 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 realize, you know, it took years, but all of us from the legal world know it takes a long time. So I think for President Trump, I mean, listen, this is a, this has been a tough time for uh, because of other issues. But uh, but again, you've got to have your top top folks, uh, and I think what people will know who do work for the president is that you know he's he is has in a sense got their back because he will you know take a stand with them and uh, understands when there's been wrongdoing. And I think here we all knew that there was wrongdoing in this investigation. It stunk from the beginning, and and now we're starting to see that play out in court proceedings. But realize they ruined people's lives or tried to. Okay, we'll see how all of this transpires. Jordan Seculo of the American Center for Law and Justice. Thank you, Jordan, for keeping us updated. Thanks, Gary. Now is the time to open up. White House Coronavirus Task Force member Dr. Anthony Fauci, a longtime advocate of isolation and shutdowns, now says extended closure could cause irreparable damage. However, he urges people and states to proceed with caution as they reopen. Meanwhile, the head of hospital trauma team in Walnut Creek, California, says he's seen more deaths from lockdown suicide than from COVID-19. Dr. Mike DeBoy-Blanc of John Muir Medical Center says the team has seen a year's worth of suicide attempts in just the past four weeks. Well, joining us from Houston, Texas, to set us straight is Dr. Stephen Hotze. Dr. Hotze is founder and CEO of the Hotze Health and Wellness Center and author of Hormone Health and Happiness. Dr. Hotze, thank you for joining us. Extended lockdowns causing irreparable damage to not only our nation's economy, but also to the health and lives of those shut in. Your thoughts on this? Have we overreacted? Has the cure been worse than the virus itself? 
Gary, you couldn't have said it any better. We have an old adage in medicine, and patients are the ones that often say this. I don't want the cure to be worse than the disease. And uh, as a physician, that's so very important. And oftentimes, uh, people are treated with medical therapies that are much worse than the problems they had. That's why I, I abide by an old adage when I uh, practice medicine. And I tell our guests, we call our patients guests, a tincture of time will cure a lot of problems if, if you'll just take care of your underlying health and take charge of your own health. Gary, there's no question about it. The collateral damage caused by the lockdown of businesses, school closures, closing of churches, quarantines of healthy individuals, really house arrest basically, of healthy individuals, has had a dramatic and adverse, serious effect upon our nation's overall health. You know, they say, well, if you don't want to lock down, you don't care about lives. Let's set the record straight. What I'm getting ready to tell you is going to be contrary to everything you've heard on the fake news media. Our government bureaucrats, health bureaucrats, and the fake news media and politicians have created irrational fears, mass hysteria, and panic around a simple viral infection. This virus is really very mild compared to the annual flu virus, which kills 50,000 people a year in the United States alone, 650,000 people worldwide, and it infects a billion people worldwide, the flu does. And we've never locked down our schools, closed our businesses, um, uh, caused people to quarantine themselves, closed down churches, never done this before. Well, uh, let's, let's look at those numbers because I know the number of COVID-19 deaths now over about 100,000 or more. Do you think the numbers are inflated? If so, why? Well, of course they're inflated. All you have to do is compare Texas to New York. It's real simple. And in fact, I was just on a TV program. Said, well, how can you prove they're inflated? Let me give you, let me just give you a statistic. In Texas, we have 30 million people. We've had approximately 1,400 people die attributable to COVID. That doesn't mean they all had COVID. They may have died with COVID, but they 1,400 people out of, out of 30 million, that is 0.005%. That's five out of 100,000. One out of 20,000 Texans have died. New York State, which has 20 million people, has 28,000 deaths. That's 0.02%. That's a factor of 50 times greater than Texas, the death factor. Statistically, that's totally impossible. It didn't happen in any other state. As if you look at the Republican states, all the states that are Republican have about one in 20,000 people die of COVID, which is infinitesimal. It's trivial compared to all the other causes of death. I'd like to move on a little bit, a good point. You believe in healthy dieting and vitamin supplements to strengthen our immune system. So how concerned are you that we're creating a nation of germaphobes actually harming the population's immune systems by preventing exposure to COVID-19? Great question. That's exactly what's happening. We're creating a whole society of neurotic germaphobes. And let me just tell everybody, and this is gonna hurt some people aren't gonna like hearing this, 
from the day you were born, you were, you've been exposed to trillions of viruses and bacteria every day. You may not be aware of it, Gary, and your listening audience may not be aware of it, but your body is covered with a trillion bacteria called staph epidermis. Your mouth is full of hundreds, if not thousands, of different varieties of bacteria and, and uh, viruses in the trillions. In your colon, you've got average 200-pound person has four or five pounds of bacteria in their colon. It covers every part of your body, everything you touch. I don't care if it's your bed, your pillows, your uh, whether it's your floor and your rugging, whether it's the little doggy that jumps on your bed and you pet and then it licks on your face. You're covered with germs all the time. Why is it that we don't die? Because God's given our body an immune system, and you've got to keep your immune system healthy. Healthy people are not immunocompromised. They're immunohealthy. That means their immune systems are robust. When they're invaded by various bacteria and viruses, that immune system whacks them, stops them. Even if they're exposed to it for the first time, that immune system in a healthy person will stop the problem. Otherwise, why don't we have literally everybody in society having the, the coronavirus? We don't. I've been exposed to it, I'm sure most everybody has in society. Been around here probably since November. So what do you have to do? I always tell people you have to take charge of your own health, Gary. You've got to take charge of what you eat. Most people, Americans, unfortunately, 70% are overweight, eat too much. 35% are obese. All that leads to diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, kidney disorders, uh, liver disorders, all of which predispose you to being unhealthy. You are unhealthy and predispose you to contracting various germs, various viruses and bacteria. Okay, Dr. Stephen Hotze, I'm sorry we're out of time. You're with the Hotze Health and Wellness Center in Houston, author of the book, Hormone Health and Happiness. Thank you for setting us straight today. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Gary. President Trump has made no secret of his dislike for mail-in balloting and the potential for voter fraud. In a recent tweet, he said, quote, mailboxes will be robbed. Ballots will be forged and even illegally printed out and fraudulently signed. For the first time, Twitter editors posted a link after the president's tweet, challenging the accuracy of his statements. Twitter said his claim was unsubstantiated, and they cited CNN and The Washington Post as their sources. Really, Twitter? You're citing a newspaper and a network proven time and again to be biased against Trump? Folks, the president has good reason to be concerned. Here are just several examples. In mid-May in Patterson, New Jersey, 800 mail-in ballots had to be set aside after allegations of voter fraud. And in nearby Hallidon, postal workers noticed a bundle of 300 ballots in one mailbox. Last February in Bastrop County, Texas, each of 500 people requesting mail-in ballots received three ballots by error. At least 14 voters cast more than one vote. In 2016, a man in San Pedro, California, found 83 mail-in ballots sent to a single address, the apartment of an 89-year-old woman. The Los Angeles County Registrar said it was a system error. Last September, the city clerk of Southfield, Michigan, was charged with six felony counts for altering absentee ballots during the November 2018 election. This month, a Philadelphia elections judge, a Democratic Party official, pleaded guilty to receiving thousands of dollars in cash in exchange for stuffing ballot boxes in the 2014, 2016, and 2018 elections in the city of brotherly love. Now that's the brotherly way, isn't it?
No, it's election fraud, a felony. Well, I could go on with more examples, but you get the point. Twitter, do your homework. Oh, and I guess we have more election tampering to worry about from the billionaires who own Twitter and other social media companies. Last August, during testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, researcher Dr. Robert Epstein, former editor-in-chief of Psychology Today, expressed concern about the manipulation of votes on a massive scale. If all these companies are supporting the same candidate, there are 15 million votes on the line that can be shifted without people's knowledge and without leaving a paper trail for authorities to trace. And in 2020, you can bet that all of these companies are going to go all out. And the methods that they're using are invisible. They're subliminal. They're more powerful than most any effects I've ever seen in the behavioral sciences. And I've been in the behavioral sciences for almost 40 years. So how could they do that? Epstein explains that if, say, Facebook sends out a go vote reminder just to Democrats, it could give at least another 400,000 votes to Democrat candidates on Election Day. Only Democrats would receive the Facebook message. Many would vote after being reminded. And what about search engine manipulation? Alphabet, the parent company of Google, was Hillary Clinton's top financial supporter in the 2016 campaign. Epstein, a moderate to liberal Democrat and Clinton supporter, testified that Google's manipulation of search results provided an additional 2.6 million votes for candidate Clinton. The 2.6 million is a rock bottom minimum. Mm. The range is between 2.6 and 10.4 million, depending on how aggressively they used the techniques that I've been studying now for six and a half years. Folks, we need to be aware of vote manipulation and fraud, whether it be through mail-in balloting or social media companies working to influence votes for a specific party or candidate. And we need to demand that Congress and the president take steps to stop it. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.